Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Last Word Podcast, W-E-R-D. I am your host, Gino Riccardi. Um, woke up early this morning. Right now, it's 10.30. That's really early for me. I've been up since 8. That's basically, usually if I'm up at 8, I basically didn't go to sleep. I don't know what's going on with me. I'm trying to make sense of my own sleep schedule. I just quit my main job to concentrate on content. And it feels stupid. No, it sounds stupid. I recognize that it sounds stupid, but it feels right to me right now. Because if not now, when, I guess is kind of the the thing. I kind of noticed that people are paying a little bit more attention to my content. And I don't know how long that'll last. And I don't know how long I can stay interested half-assing it while I'm trying to weave in and out of jobs. So I, I find myself in a position right now where I feel like I can afford to just take a little bit of time off and also maybe even just look for like a better job too. Like as a bartender, hopefully just like working a couple days a week and making not a lot of money, but like some decent money. Um, I want to, so my goal today is to talk about two things. I had a show last night. Uh, I want to talk about that. And I also, I also want to talk about the Will Smith thing because when I came up with the name for the podcast, the last word, uh, I I was really I really had this in mind that like I never I don't want to be the first person to chime in on a topic on a subject on a scandal whatever I would really rather be the last person uh, because you know there's plenty of people always yeah. and often enough I don't know what's going on in pop culture but just that people around me force feed it to me Are you on team Johnny Depp Are you on team Amber Are you on team Will Smith Are you on team Well that one. I've talked about that before. That one affected the community. And I think I did talk about it a little bit. But I just saw an interview with him that happened like almost immediately before the Academy Awards. And I felt like I felt like some things that I thought about him were a little bit confirmed there. Anyway, I want to talk about this other thing first, because (laughs) because hopefully if in the event that you're listening, you want to hang on for the pop culture stuff. And then so I want to. I want to talk about what I want to talk about first. We had the show last night, and really, I just want to—I just want to talk about it out loud to help myself digest what happened. Because all in all, as far as shows go, it was a good show. Now, for those people out there who are not comedians, who are not used to the grind of what we do day in day out, and what we do to attempt to get everybody's attention and be visible and not only get good at what we're doing but let people know that we're good at what we're doing and anyway, all that all that um it's a very difficult thing to do i'm sure you can imagine um so there there's a couple different types of shows right there's a comedy club show and that's the best kind of show in my opinion because as comics we train with weights on we do ambush shows where there's just people there and then we just start doing comedy and they're not there for the comedy so we kind of have to win them over and hopefully that nobody grosses them out and just turns them off to comedy forever which i think happens often enough uh there is uh the bar show you know and that can that can be an ambush show but usually a bar show is like a it's a bar that isn't doing like great and so they allow comedy to happen there because they're just like get something in here and sometimes it works sometimes it gets people coming through and if nothing else at least the comics come through and and buy stuff you know and they have a decent night out of it and so my show last night was kind of somewhere in between because oh yeah there's also frequency frequency is has a big deal 
has a lot to do with the quality and type of show that someone is throwing. So a lot of people out there just throw a weekly show. They throw a weekly show and it's kind of their, their tedious job to just be like constantly booking it, staffing it, making sure that it's just got comics every week, you know? And those are like, those are good shows for like someone like me who just needs some stage time in front of regular people because uh, I don't need to be making friends. It's a hard thing, like getting, like getting good shows, you just need to be like in with people. You need people to like you. You need to put it in your time with people. You need them to see you do your thing, you know? And uh, with weekly shows, you can kind of just, you know that they're scrounging for comics and, and they just need anybody. So they're glad to have someone like me reach out and just be like, can I be on a show? They're like, yeah, I'm, I'm booking a show two months from now and I'm glad someone reached out to me and I can not worry about that one spot, you know? And so I don't, I don't, when I do a show, I want it to be a great show, you know? Uh, because I don't do them very often. I do them at most once a month. And, uh, and it's, I fucking, I'm going to say, I love putting on a good show, but in general, I fucking hate putting on shows. It's just like, it's all this work that isn't doing comedy, that isn't working on my craft. And I understand that that's a big part of what I'm supposed to be doing is the, the not comedy portion of comedy. Like what I said, being visible, grabbing all your attention, you know? And, uh, so I, I work at a place called the Continental Room. It's a really great bar. Uh, it's a really great venue too. So it's not just a bar, it's an actual venue and it doubles as both. It's the simplest venue slash bar I've ever seen. And it's really great for any type of event. I've seen really great bands there. They said they've had comedy in the past and they've had like some headliners. They've packed the house before. Um, and it also just, uh, works as just a great simple ass <clears throat> bar. It's, n it's never trying to be more than what it is. And what it is is already pretty cool enough. Like the decor is nice, the lighting is nice, the bartenders are really friendly. Anyway, the, from the first time I went in there, I was just like, I want to work here, I want to do shows here. And so I started working there. And right away, like the first one of the first things he mentioned to me, the uh, manager mentioned to me, is that they do comedy shows. And I'm like, okay, I definitely will. Once I get the landscape here and kind of understand the place. I'm going to think about putting on a show. I wanted to do a weekly show. I wanted to do one of those weekly shows and just kind of like do it as a booked mic to begin with because they have a second room, kind of a smaller room. It's not even smaller. It's just kind of like separated from the main room. And I just thought it would be great to build an organic following. I see some people in, uh, you almost don't, in LA, you almost don't want to call them comedy clubs. Uh, comics who listen to the podcast might know them. Third Wheel. Accidental Chaos, um, uh, Flashback, uh, they're, they're kind of, they do shows and they bring in audiences and the ones that are more successful, I'm like studying them and trying to figure out their magic sauce. And the magic sauce really is just consistency. Just keep on putting on shows. Some of them are going to be shitty. Some of them aren't going to be packed with audience members, but you do it often enough and people are just going to know this as a place that has shows and you make sure to book it with at least halfway decent comedians. And people are going to have a good time. They're just there to laugh, you know? And that's what I wanted to do with the Continental Room. I wanted to just have like a weekly show. But the owner would not have... You need something like that. It kind of needs to be free, at least to begin with, in my opinion. Because uh, I just want people to come in and get addicted, like a drug dealer. I just want them to get hooked on the good stuff. And once they like it, you know, kind of start... You know, charging, start charging. Anyway, they w they wouldn't hear it for free, and it's and it's really kind of an ego thing because they don't keep much of the door. They actually give 
they gave me 90% of what they made off of the door. So let's say in a best case scenario, there's 100 people in that room. It's packed, you know? They made $100 in a night. That's really not very much, you know, compared to what they make in alcohol, which is alcohol's got a great markup on it, you know? And I know he made good money. I know that the bartender last night made good money. I think we sold like, it was like 20 tickets. It wasn't like a whole lot, but it was enough to have like a full audience and plus comics and some friends in there. So there were like a good 30 people constantly in the room. And that's a decent show. That's, that's a decent for comedians. So we had a decent show. That's like what I was saying. And I'll, already I've spent nine minutes talking about this fucking show without even really talking about it. Because I'm trying to explain... <coughs> trying to explain the context of like why i feel the way i feel about what happened so it's a decent enough show people show out people i invited showed out i really reached out to people and i i I just felt like like i said when i put on a show i I wasn't allowed to do a weekly show so like since it's a one-off i really wanted it to be good i had a friend djing it and uh, we put a lot of energy into it i made sure to pack it with like just the best comics that i know personally just the best ones you know there's no excuse this show will not go wrong the comedy portion of it will be great the music portion the energy portion will be great the worst part of the show will maybe just be me hosting because i'm not really a high energy guy and i really have to try i have to really have to flex a muscle to get my energy up on stage so right off the bat i fucking hate i hate doing a show So the audience wasn't completely on board. It was kind of like it wasn't that nightclub audience that you expect in most shows where people just kind of like come in to laugh. They were kind of like come in and they they were kind of there to like be impressed. They weren't there to laugh. They were like they were there to be impressed. And maybe I oversold the comics because I really just told them I'm like, these are some of the best comics in the area, you know. And, like, I've been doing a couple of sets in the past couple weeks that have really just been murdering audiences, you know? And so I opened up with it, and I got some good laughs just right off the top. And then it just kind of, like, went quiet really fast. And I just clenched up. And I was already a little bit like that because I hate doing time up top on a show. And so that's part of it. That's why I guess I feel such anxiety about it. Because I know that my energy wasn't what it normally is during a show because I'm also running the show. And so it's really hard for me to just like take a moment aside away from everything that's that's going on. Take a moment, more like five, ten minutes, you know, and just be like, okay, this is what I'm going to say. This is the order I'm going to say it in. Don't forget these tags. These are the end punchlines. Think about all that, you know. How do I close this bit out so that I just don't end on an open-ended, oh, and that was some funny stuff I said, you know. I didn't get a chance to do all that. I kind of had to do all that in the car ride to set up the show, you know? And so, like, at some point, everyone's there, the audience is there, and they're like, Gina, when are we going to start? I'm like, uh, 10 minutes, uh, 5 minutes. And then finally, I'm like, all right, 2 minutes, everybody. And then I got the sign, the, the metaphysical, the universe letting me know it's time to go on stage. The DJ, without knowing it, played my fucking favorite song and it's such an obscure reference it's james brown's get up off of that thing it's my favorite fucking song and he just started playing it and i went up to him and i'm like dude that's my fucking favorite song in the world and he's like fuck yeah and i'm like all right it's time it's time to start the fucking show and i started the show and i started it with this (laughs) i started i'll just let you know what i started it with right because i sort of went back and forth because uh 
before a couple weeks ago, I was starting every show with like just kind of introducing myself. This is what I look like. Uh, you know, those kind of jokes, you know, just introducing myself to the audience and going from there. And then last week I did a show and I started with this joke and it's been working the whole time. Uh, and, and it just starts with this premise. It's illegal to fuck your pets in some states. It's illegal, but only in some states. And this is, this is what you have to think about. Who are you judging right now? Because in the states that it's illegal, it's been a problem. And it kind of starts that way, you know? And it's really been doing well. And with this audience, they really laughed at the fact that I was opening a show with uh, pet fucking or whatever. <laughs> uh, and then they just like closed off right after that. And then that caused, caused me to clench up. And I couldn't tell how much of it was the audience being tepid and how much of it was me just like not being good at my job, you know? And so I made sure to, I'm, I'm, I made my set run a little bit long uh, just because I was like, you know what? I don't really get a whole lot of chances to do like my time stretch out on stage. I'm in charge right now. I'm just going to luxuriate in the time right now. So I did like about, I did almost a 15 minute set. Well, I should have done 10, but I just really wanted to make sure to, because I was so nervous up top and I went through my first bit, it was a six minute bit and I went through it in three minutes and I really felt like, like I was sort of back paddling, like, okay, I need to calm my energy down. I need to get a little conversational and I need to end on a laugh. I need to stretch out and end on a laugh. And everyone after that, so I ended on a good, hard laugh, a good, hard, like a couple of really good, hard belly laughs, you know? I just made sure of that, and, and I have to. So this is I, I'm I have to watch my set today, and I'm not looking forward to it. I'm not looking forward to watching me rush through my first bit, and like I could feel my hands shaking, like I got actually nervous. And another part of it was, I'm legit not used to doing comedy in front of people I know that aren't comics, and people show it out for me, and it made me really nervous because I'm just like I was kind of talking shit because I was promoting myself, and I just I've just learned that I can't say that. Like, I've learned recently to just not be as humble as I would like to be. I'm very used to, I don't like to call attention to myself. I'm not really that guy, you know? I get attention and I don't know, I don't kind of understand why, you know? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how much of that's true, honestly. But uh, we're always figuring ourselves out. But at any rate, it made me nervous. It made me nervous. I'm like, oh, there's people here that I know. And they're going to take this memory away. And they're going to know me after this. <laughs> And I don't know, like, I really love the anonymity of performance. I remember even when I was a kid, I used to wrestle and my parents were like, we're going to come see you. And I'm like, please don't. I don't want you there. I don't want anyone looking at me who isn't just a wrestler or a random audience member, a fan, whatever. Um, and that's kind of how I feel about comedy, too. I really love the anonymity. And I do great in it, you know, because, because I don't give a shit what anybody thinks. That's really what it is. So once there are people who know me, I'm going to have to interact with them later. I'm just... And then once you fear something, it's more likely to come true. And that's something I've known for like a very, very long time. But understanding something and uh, behaving in accordance with it uh, are two different things, you know? And often enough, we, for me, myself, I find, I think I learned most of my life lessons by the time I was 17, honestly. And I continually have to relearn and re- uh, discipline myself 
to behave in accordance with that awareness, you know? Because when I was 17, I also had zero discipline. Like, zero discipline. And uh, I think, I, I don't know if I've mentioned before, I had a 0 0.86 grade point average. I had zero discipline. But I understood how things come about and what needs to happen for a thing to occur. And so I'm just kind of stuck in this. I woke up having a nightmare this morning, and I realized as I was trying to go back to sleep, because I woke up having a nightmare, and I didn't realize how bad it was until my girlfriend touched me. She grazed my back with her titty, and I screamed. I don't think I've ever done that before. Maybe once in my lifetime. I don't think I've ever screamed out of sleep. And, ah! Especially like when a nice, when a soft titty is touching your back. I mean, come on. <laughs> Uh, it's so rough, man. And so I'm just, I'm stuck in that energy and I have a show tomorrow for, and I'm doing it for a friend. And I know, I feel like, I feel like he maybe even looks a little up to me. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how to read people's energy all the time, but it kind of feels that way a little bit. And I'm just like, I'm stuck in this energy of like, I had a half good set yesterday. I just really feel like I owe it to myself to be murdering all the time I'm on stage. That's all. Anyway, I've, I've talked about this for almost 20 minutes, and I think, I think I've said about everything almost, even though I do feel like I'm leaving something out. Uh, but I don't know. After the show, I think most people agreed that it was a tepid audience. Uh, Eric Escobar was there. He got some good laughs. I mean, he's a professional. He tours all around the country. Uh, my buddy Mario Rodriguez was on it. He got some good laughs. But the laughs didn't... This is what I noticed because Mario's a fucking juggernaut. He's not like, he's not big, big, only yet. I think he's going to figure out how to promote himself soon and he will get big. He's just a good, talented, smart guy, you know, and he's introspective enough, but he also understands that it's entertainment and he doesn't like just talk shit to death. He's smart like that. He's a good showman. And even though he looks like shit on stage... And I'll t I, I wouldn't, I, okay, <laughs> that, that's a mean thing to say. I would never tell him that he looks like shit. But he's definitely not trying, okay? <laughs> I guess I, I'll say that. I don't want to go, like, back paddle and erase myself. But, I mean, he doesn't look like shit. I love him. He's a great guy. And he fucking, when he ever has a girlfriend, it's always a very pretty and wonderful woman. I don't know, man. He's just got great energy. Um, and he's an existentialist like me. I found that about him. I found that out about him. Um, <laughs> I talked to some of the people who came out for me after the show, a couple of them, literally a couple of them. And they said that it was fun. They said that they had a great time. They said that they loved my jokes. I saw them losing their shit quietly on the end of the room. And I'm like, can you be audible? Can you be audible with that laugh? Can you not be quietly lo losing your shit? It doesn't help me because enough people need permission to laugh. They need to hear a laugh to laugh and sometimes even when i'm listening to my own sets i'm not sure if it's funny or I, I may not even find it funny but if i hear the audience laugh i'll laugh when i'm listening to it in my car or whatever you know it's a, it's a strange phenomenon laughter is infectious most things are uh we're social creatures anyway so i don't know i i generally don't have friends that give me free compliments so i don't think they were like just saying that and i was really looking for that disappointed look that you get after you have like after you bomb your set and people are all like good job and they kind of don't want to make eye contact i was looking for that and i didn't get it so i think i did at least all right anyone i talked to did agree that i rushed through that first bit though like i panicked 
And a little bit of that was that like I was already nervous before I got on stage because I had people I knew in the audience. And uh, and then the other half of that was because like one of my jokes that's been landing didn't land. And I'm like, ooh, I don't have time to set up for another joke. I just need another punchline and I'm rushing through. And then the rushing through makes the audience lose their confidence in you. And anyway, and then so that I had to slow down. I had an extra long set. I already said all that. Okay. I've totally said enough about that. I've totally said enough about all of that. So uh, all in all, it was a good show. That's all I'll say. All in all, it was a good show. It had a decent turnout. I don't know when I'll do one again. I don't know. Everyone's like, are you going to do a monthly? I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this again, honestly. <laughs> I fucking hate it so much. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. I'll figure out how uh, much better I get at this self-promotion stuff, at doing content. And uh, I woke up today. This, is, this would be my first day off. So I quit my job. Uh, it was Tuesday, my last day. So this is for me, this is the day before yesterday. And uh, normally I would be working today. So this is my first actual day off. And I'm so glad that I timed it the way that I did because it was very deliberate. I timed it very deliberately so that, uh, number one, uh, everyone would see me, everyone at my work who liked me would see me one last time the day before the show. They would have every reason to show up at that show. Uh, Number two, I did not want to be working the day after the show. I wanted to be able to stay out all night, socialize, even have a good time, you know, and which I did some of that. It was fun. We hung out. It was great. I love hanging out with all those people. And it was it was also nice hanging out with non-comedians too. Like, I really, really kind of have f- forgotten what it's like to have friends that aren't comedians. I love the comic community, but I mean, it is important to have some uh, friends outside of your industry. I'll say that for any workplace. Like if you're an engineer, you should have some friends who aren't engineers. You know what I mean? Um, also just so you understand how the rest of, cause you can get stuck in your own niche, you know, and you need to continue to understand how the rest of the world operates and also making comics laugh. It's fun, but it's difficult. And it's kind of nice hanging out with regular people and it's much easier to make them laugh. And I do it on accident sometimes. And it reminds me it reminds me sometimes when I forget that, like, oh, yeah, I am an actually just funny person when I'm not, like, making an effort and writing down every fucking idea that comes into my mind, you know? It's funny, a fellow comic who gets a lot of stage time, but a little a little bit of that is because she's a female. And uh, it, it's just, like, really hard to book females. I was struggling to book two good females on my show. And I wish I could have had three. But I just don't know that many legitimately funny women there's just not many women in comedy and i I don't say that against women there are so many people in comedy most of them men and a very small portion of those people are funny so if there's even less women in comedy even less of those people are going to be funny because there's just less of them to begin it's a percentage thing right if there's 10 percent of a million guys are funny just as an arbitrary number and, uh, and there's this, well, my joke is like, and there are six women in comedy and 10% of them are funny. You know what I mean? It's just a smaller percentage. Uh, it's the same percentage, a smaller number anyway. So, <laughs> uh, I, I even actually just almost forgot what I was saying. Oh yeah. Hanging out with normal people. Oh yeah. So I thought what better way to wake up on my first actual day off than to do some fucking content. So I'm doing this fucking podcast. Look at me doing shit, living up to the thing that I said I would do. Uh, at least to begin with, you know, uh, I really hope I treat this month cause I hope to do this not working very much thing.
for about a month and just really like run some run with some content because I really I have a really important show like midway through the month and uh, so I hope to kind of build up to it. Anyway, so I want to talk about this Will Smith thing. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> I I never I it's like I say I don't listen to podcasts, so I'm like if you've hung on this long, hey man, I appreciate you, uh, one hundred percent, you know. Uh, so this is the thing. So the Will Smith thing, the slap, right? And uh, I think enough of us who understand the human condition kind of agreed that that wasn't an alpha move. That was an insecurity move, right? Because, because number one, he laughed first, right? We, we all, we've all dissected the moment in time. He laughed. His fucking woman gave him a death stare. He went up and had to fucking basically save his marriage by being an asshole and kind of a bitch uh, on stage. And also a person who started in comedy... I mean, it's really just off-brand, but clearly, Jada, I don't know, doesn't have a sense of humor about herself, or uh, it could also be, and I don't want to, I don't, this isn't misogynistic in any way, but it could realistically be menopause, like, she's losing her hormones, and it kind of, like, for some people, when they get to, a like, a very specific age, it can color them gray, you know what I mean? Like, they lose their vivre the joie de vivre the fucking joy of life you know what i mean and someone who doesn't for my for my dad it was the opposite he lost his testosterone and all of a sudden he was a funny guy and he'd tell jokes i never knew that motherfucker when i was growing up i could have used him but you know i could see how the opposite could also happen you know especially you're young and vivacious and the world loves you and now you're 50 and you have alopecia and fuck everything you know um you're ancient as far as Hollywood is concerned. Oh, I'm speaking into my uh, hydro flask now. But I saw his interview on uh, the, that David Letterman, the Netflix show, right? Uh, my next guest needs no introduction. And uh, he actually said one of his biggest fears, right, is he considers himself a coward. Now, this I was kind of talking earlier just now about, like, whatever you fear, kind of, it's not healthy because it's more likely to happen just the fact that you fear it. And this is, it's funny because I've mentioned this before in my life, not on this podcast necessarily, maybe. I don't know. I don't remember every fucking thing I say here. But I'm also sure you haven't heard every fucking episode, so I guess it bears repeating. Um, the, it's the law of attraction thing, right? This is something I kind of figured out as a kid. And I just, whenever... I come across something like this. I don't mind patting myself on the back a little bit. Number one, just to let you know that I'm not in on every fucking trend because I really am divorced from most pop culture. But I'll say something like that, like you have to be careful what you think because you attract what you think. And I used to think it was you attract what you want and you want what you want is only a small portion of what you think about. And I realized that you not only you can attract what you want, you can, but you generally attract what's on your mind, you know? And uh, I think there's some there's some definite literal connections there, but there's also some 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 metaphysical connections there, and that's kind of like the whole thing where we sort of communicate. When you say certain words, it makes people think you're stupid. Like when I say you communicate by uh, <laughs> what's the, I, I forget what the term is when it's not telekinesis, but it's uh, anyway. The way I put it is we communicate through antenna, you know? And that makes it cartoony enough to people like halfway agree and they're like, yeah, it's kind of like that. I'm like, but I've seen it so strange. Like like my DJ last night playing my favorite song right when I'm supposed to hit the stage. 
he didn't know that's my favorite song but that was the song i was like dude i need i need a sign i need to fucking take the stage and i need just the right energy to take the stage and then fucking get up off of that thing comes on i'm like dude our guys our guys our metaphysical guys were communicating i don't care how hippy dippy you think that is but it's not just a one-time thing that's ever happened to me you know but uh a friend of mine when i mentioned that told me and it was really an ex-girlfriend she's like oh you should read the law of attraction and i'm like why should i read the law of attraction she's like oh well it's a book and it says the thing that you just said i'm like well why the fuck do i need to read it if i just said it it seems that i understand it just perfectly clear and it seems like <laughs> or like uh sometimes i'll say something and someone will tell me oh you should listen to alan watts and i'm like why like because he talks about that i'm like well if i just talked about it why do i need to listen to alan watts you know i'm sure he was a great guy uh, I'm sure he had some very intelligent things to say. But if I'm already saying it... Anyway, you get the point. So, uh, Will Smith, he really talked about a few things. One thing I love about that David Letterman show... Oh, this is the other thing, because I always talk about something I've been watching. So this is kind of two-in-one. But I'm also kind of repeating something, because I realized that I actually did kind of talk at length about the Will Smith thing. Uh, like, just after it happened. And I really couldn't, I really couldn't uh, resist the temptation to talk about it because it's in the comedy community, you know. Um, hold on, I'm gonna take a sip of my water. I feel myself getting dry. Oh, oh yeah. So, I love. I mean, David Letterman's been doing interviews more in his life than he hasn't, right? I think he did it for like 30 years at least or something like that. Um, he's just so great at it. And I think, the, I think a similar thing happened to him that happened to my dad, David Letterman, that he became older, um, maybe his testosterone lowered, and it, made him, it allowed him to take a step aside, like out of himself like aside from himself and and at the world and i think part of that <clears throat> excuse me part of that is also as <laughs> at a at an older age like in his 60s or something he had a kid and that also so at the exact same time from what people tell me if you do it right having a kid is supposed to change your entire perspective and i think maybe part of my perspective is that i kind of had a kid when i was little I had to help raise my little sister, and I, I had, like, a very big part in it. Me and my brother had a very big part in it, and then at some point, my brother got hooked on drugs, and then so it was just me and my mom. And uh, <clears throat> and I, I, I really had that perspective of, like, I, I have a big part of how this person turns out, of how this person develops, what this person learns. And I took it very seriously. And, uh, unfortunately, I don't know, I guess I wish I could have done a better job, but I was also a child. I was also a literal child myself. So I hope that I can take those lessons with my actual children in the event that I have them. I really want to have kids. Anyway, that's a different story. David Letterman, I think <clears throat> he, he seems like he really cares about his guests. And another person I'll say the same thing about is uh, Howard Stern, who he was a dick when he was younger. And now he just seems like a very introspective 
guy who's interested in his guests and he has nothing to rebel against so he doesn't have to be an asshole anymore or at least for the most part i don't know i don't really watch howard stern mainly because uh i don't know where i watch little snippets on uh youtube and so i love watching a david letterman interview because he really he goes through great lengths to put the person at ease that he's interviewing like really great lengths he kind of like, he'll go over to their house. He'll do it in front of an audience. I think the Will Smith one was in front of an audience. And what I noticed about <clears throat> Will Smith is that he was so tense during the whole interview. And he really tried to play it off by being entertaining, by joking. He kept on calling Dave by his first name. And at first it was cute. And after a while it was like, how often do you call someone by their first name? You know, I don't. Sometimes, I mean, it's 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 bad enough that like, Sometimes I know somebody and I don't know their first name. And I'm like, shit, I've never said your first name. I just like, say, hey, bro, or whatever. But Dave Letterman, you know, <clears throat> he'll take them out around the town. He'll take them to somewhere that's familiar to them. I think uh, they went together down Sunset to that, that trolley sandwich shop that's right next to the comedy store. And I guess they probably walked up to the comedy store after that and did the interview. So he'll do, he'll usually do like a couple of interviews and one of them will be a seated interview sometimes in front of an audience. And another one will be just them kind of like meandering around, uh, maybe like with Robert Downey Jr. It was at his property. Uh, he's got like a little farm property or something like that. And, uh, with, uh, with Cardi B, uh, he went with her. She wanted to really talk about how she's politically active and she uses her platform so they went through the franklin delano roosevelt museum you know that they'll do like another thing besides the formal interview and you really get a lot from it honestly when he when he interviewed barack obama like i shed a fucking tear and it wasn't because of barack it was actually because of something that dave said because he's like all this civil rights stuff was going on and i was getting shit-faced in cancun and it was so important to history. And where the fuck was I? And dude, even as I say it right now, that fucking moves me. Just a moment in history where you're like, where the fuck was I? Why didn't I give a shit? Did I give a shit? Did I give enough shits? Could I have helped? You know, I can understand that. And so he's got Will Smith there. And he really talks about some really interesting things. Now, I've said about, I've said enough about, I feel like Will Smith being just a, um, an insecure guy, you know, and that's nothing new with actors, you know, and honestly, <laughs> I'll give anyone this advice, uh, men and women too. If you ever want to date a hot person, date an actor, male or female, because it is the perfect combination of just physically devastatingly attractive and insecure. It's fucking, they're wonderful. They just want, they just want to be connected, you know, they just want to feel something, they just want to feel your approval, you know, just like anybody else. <clears throat> I find that actors can be overly dramatic, but also very down to earth, you know, anyway, in my experience. So I'm just saying that Will Smith isn't unique in that, you know, and he uh, talked about his success as a rapper, which like, I think most of us forget about. I did. He was a, a rapper for like a minute, but that minute was long enough, I guess, for him to win the first rap Grammy. And uh, I guess Quincy Jones made a really smart decision just kind of inviting him over to his house. Because <clears throat> from Quincy Jones's perspective, he's a producer and he's like, dude, here's a rapper 
who is family-friendly. He does comedy in his rap. I can give this guy a career. I can put him on network television. I can make him network-friendly. I can give him a network show. And he came up with the idea, and he had all the people who needed to say yes to that idea at a party. And Will Smith is like, I need time. And Quincy Jones is like, you don't. Time is your enemy. And dude, anyone doing comedy understands that so well. Time is not your friend. Time is your friend when you use it wisely. And using it wisely means fucking, it's, it's some precision. And Quincy Jones used that precision. It was really great. The story that he told, it was incredible. He just pulled him in the back room and he's like, you need to make a decision right now. I want to audition you in front of these people. So are you going to audition me at a party? And he's like, you can call it a party or you can call it an audition. Basically, you know, you want to make an appointment for two weeks from now. They're going to come up with something more important. It's going to be three weeks from now. Three weeks from now, one of those other people is going to have something else to do. The thing's going to disappear. Right now is your time. What are you going to say? He's like, give me 10 minutes. That was such an important thing about just seizing that fucking opportunity. Opportunity is such a random thing, and it's our job to recognize it. Another really important thing I got from it, and I feel like I'm giving a lecture at this point. Another really important thing I got from it is, is this thing that you can only get from another person's experience. And you, as a poor person like I am, you just sound preachy saying it as a concept. But to hear a, a successful person say it, it really drives it home. And this is what he said. Uh, he did I Am Legend, and it, it broke some box office records, I guess. I don't know. It made some, it's made some really good money. Uh, it was a number one for a little while. I didn't fucking watch it. I don't like those movies. I think it was a zombie movie, right? I Am Legend? I'm not sure. Anyway. Uh, and then, so, I guess it made uh, $77 million or whatever. Opening weekend, opening night, I'm not sure. And Will Smith is like, what could we have done to make it make $80 million? And in my mind, that's a perfect thing to say. Like, what, can we, what could we always do to make it better? But he's like, I realize that this obsession with material success, it's a little bit of a sickness. Because nothing will ever be enough. You can never have enough. I mean, can you imagine someone saying, I made $70 million and it's not enough? Just those two statements back to back. I made $70 million and it's not enough. I mean, clearly he didn't make all $70 million. I mean, he made... He probably ended up making $10, 20000000 million off that movie. I don't know. I actually don't know. But... That's 10 or 20 million more than maybe I've made in my lifetime. I think maybe in my lifetime, I've made a couple hundred thousand. Maybe, you know? I've been poor for a long time. Anyway. But it's kind of a point that I've been trying to drive home. And I don't know if people are coming around to listening to it. Because the first time I ever said it, I got a lot of pushback. And keep in mind, I grew up in Huntington Beach. So I didn't realize it was a conservative town because while I've been politically aware, I haven't been politically active. And so I've never, until Trump, you really didn't know who was who. I feel like Trump really brought out like the teams, you know? And so when you're saying something like, um, there's no reason for anyone to ever need more than a million dollars a year. When you say something like that, and you know, that's just, that's just a figure that you throw out there. You know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna legislate, if you're gonna come up with policy, you're gonna actually come down to what is beneficial and what keeps people motivated. And, uh, but I mean, nobody needs, 
eighty billion dollars, one hundred percent. If you can lose ninety billion, no ninety. If you can lose seventy nine billion dollars and still have a billion dollars, you don't fucking need that, and it's too much, and it's actually hoarding. And I think about it in terms of like the human body, and uh, if you keep blood in one part of your body, it kind of it kills everything actually. Like it's not good for anybody. And these people are generally miserable. I've met some of these rich people and they kind of live alone in these big houses. And the big house makes them even feel more alone because it's so much empty space. And they don't even live there for very long. They have like all these houses with all this space. They live a few months out of the year. And meanwhile, I don't know. Homeless people is a whole different problem because uh, it's a little bit more disenfranchisement that leads to, I think, an onset of mental illness from social detachment. That's my theory about that. Um, it's a difficult thing to talk to other people about because people are more on the fence with homelessness. They're more on the fence of uh, these people are lazy or these people are victimized. And uh, it's slightly more complex than that. Maybe not so much more complex than that, but it's definitely, it's clearly more complex than that because we haven't with a simplicity like that, you think we'd be able to solve it by now. And that's what really what I think it is. I think it's some disenfranchisement and things are so out of reach that you just kind of give up. And then they get to a point, enough of them get to a point where uh, the social detachment, because we kind of pretend they don't exist. I pretend they don't exist because if I make eye contact, now I have to give someone $5. I don't fucking have that, you know? Well, I mean, I do, but it's mine. <clears throat> And I think that causes a mental illness because, like I said, we're social animals and we need connection. And then they get disconnected. And I think that it seems like it causes some kind of onset schizophrenia. I'm not really 100% sure. I would wish I could do more research on that. But anyway, it was a great interview. And I feel like, uh, back to the Will Smith thing, I feel like if you watch that interview, you can understand 100% why he did what he did at the Academy Awards. Because the last thing I'll talk about with regard to this is uh, he said he did ayahuasca over the quarantine. Now, that's a cool thing. But not everybody who does hallucinogens really learns everything they need to learn. And it sounded to me like he actually abused it. And uh, for me, it seems like the sign of abuse when you take uh, hallucinogens is that the hallucinogens kind of punish you. You're going to live out like an eight-hour anxiety attack, which is awful. It's fucking awful. And it sounded like that happened to him at least once. He said he did it, if I remember correctly, 14 times. Ayahuasca, 14 times. I wouldn't want to do acid or any hallucinogen more than twice in a year. He lived this eight-hour experience. Because when you go out to the jungle and do it with a shaman, the way, uh, the way rich people actually do it, you know, like they do it like days in a row. And I can only imagine what that does to your brain. And he talked about all of his fears that came out. He mentioned them. And a lot of it was being able to hold on to everything he's worked for, uh, being able to protect his family, uh, and I bet you, being able to hold on to his marriage, you know? And if that works its way into your trip, I mean, I guess I'll end on this. I, uh... Back when I was a kid, well, back when I was a drug dealer, one of the things that happened when I was a drug dealer was uh, I was dating this really beautiful woman, and uh, but she just needed me too much, you know, like too much, too much. 
just super codependent. She would even tell everybody, I built my whole universe around Gino, you know? And uh, one night, because I used to work hard. I was a good drug dealer. I used to work hard at it. And uh, I hadn't seen her in a couple days. And I, I, I set aside some time to go spend two hours with her because we hadn't seen each other in a couple days. And after two hours, I needed to go back. I needed to go back and work because I was really trying to build something, you know? And uh, really nobody understood. I think also because I was 19 and just nobody really understands. I, I don't think anybody really does understand when you deprive them of your time because I think that's really the greatest gift you, you can give anybody. And if you take it away, it's more, it's priceless, you know? And I remember she started sobbing. She started sobbing because I had to go and I'm like, I set aside this time to come see you. Like, I don't honestly even really have this time. This is time that I shut off my phone and I'm away from everything. And this is time for me and you. And you're just leaving me on this note, like, like I'm doing something to you. And I'm just trying to build something for us, honestly, you know? And I remember her crying and I was like, I'm going to cheat on her tonight. And here's the thing too. I'm really not good at getting pussy. I think other people think otherwise, but I'm really not. But when I had that incentive of like, fuck this bitch, I got laid four times in two weeks. And so she found out about it. She found out about it after I got busted. And, uh, and she's like, you owe me an acid trip. I want you to do acid with me. And I'm like, this is a terrible idea. We're at odds with each other right now. We're in a healing part of our relationship. And you want to bring out our inner psyches together? Like, I don't think it's a good idea. I'll do it for you because I agree with you. I owe you whatever it is you feel that I owe you. But I don't think it's a good idea. And it wasn't. And she told me later on, she's like, that it was, you're right. It's not a good idea. I was feeling all these things. And by the way, while we were feeling all these things, we had incredible acid sex. I shot across the fucking room. And she was, she's like, that was the money fucking dick shot. You know, she's like, it was incredible sex. Uh, acid sex. But you don't want to, when you're in a bad place emotionally, I don't think hallucinogens are the answer. I think maybe if you're having questions or there's something you want to grow about yourself, maybe do it lightly tread lightly that's why i really like the idea of microdosing i'm so glad people are more on that train but i also wish people would treat it more as a medicine because uh enough people kind of just make it a habit you know all right i think uh i think that's all i have for you today it's been almost an hour uh thank you for listening to me i hope you're having a great day uh, I'm going to give myself a pat on the back for doing a little bit of content. I still have plenty more to do today. I don't know how my day is going to look because I'm on four hours of sleep and I just couldn't go back to bed. So we'll see. I, I hope I'm productive. I hope I don't just like fall asleep for the next three hours. Um, yeah, thanks again for listening. I hope you're having a great day, night, whatever part of the 24-hour cycle it is. I'm glad to uh, to be with you in your car, on your drive, while you're walking, doing laundry, brushing your teeth, whatever it is you're doing when you listen to podcasts. Uh, I love you all, uh, and uh, I'll see you around. Bye-bye.